0: forget, come
1: with us and not, not the movie Oobliette. Hey hey, you're listening to Movie Oobliette episode 60! <laughs> This is the Cross-Hemisphere Film Review Podcast with me, Dan. Continuing to smile at shopkeepers and people on the street, even though I have a mask on and no one can see my smile in
0: Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, trying to figure out how you can wear a mask without your glasses fogging up in Cambridge, UK. Oh yes, I understand
1: that problem <laughs> <laughs> all too well. In this podcast, we discuss forgotten genre films, sci-fi, fantasy, in horror, because bad acting and excessive experimental camera work is actually what we love to see. <laughs> Conrad, we made it to the big 6-0.
0: We did. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I'm quite pleased. I, I don't know how it's just flying by. It really is. They rack up after a while. I remember when we were excited when we got to 10. Yeah, yeah, I know.
1: I know. So how have you been, Conrad? What have you been up to?
0: Oh, pretty good. Yeah, I had my brother visiting for a long weekend, which was great. Haven't seen him since Christmas. Uh, Gary, long-term listeners to the podcast will have heard Gary on this podcast in the past. Hey, Gary. (laughs) Hey, Gary. So we went to the cinema, which was a pretty amazing experience. First time in months? First time since March. Wow. So... Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we went to see a film sort of midday on a work day. Uh-huh. So we thought, you know, first time in, you know, since lockdown, want to make sure that we feel comfortable, not too many people. <laughs> we ended up sitting and having essentially a private screening of Inception oh, by wow. ourselves oh. <laughs> in the largest auditorium. But I hadn't seen the film on the big screen before and with Hans Zimmer's score on that uh, big sound system yeah it was it was really fun but it was very odd just us sitting there with masks on mm-hmm. in the middle of an enormous auditorium by ourselves <laughs> <laughs> so i'm imagining that chris nolan's new film tenet will be slightly better attended than that but we shall see I'm <laughs> planning to go and see that on my birthday so we shall see oh, speaking of
1: new films uh project mm. power is a new film uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jamie Foxx and Dominic Fishback. Mm. Uh, that has just come out on Netflix. And uh, Hit Record, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's online platform, creative platform. Uh, we did a song with power as a theme, and that's now mm. been released to the world. You should check it out on
0: YouTube. I have a very,
1: very small part in it, but it was fun. You <laughs> do.
0: Yes. Now, eagle-eyed listeners can spot Dan playing a mean synth solo in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, interesting, like getting that shot because I do
1: not have... Equipment in terms of visuals that are <laughs> very <laughs> adequate. So I had to have my camera on a tripod, sitting on a chair, which was sitting on top of a coffee table, so I could have that perfect high angled shot and uh, have all the all the blinds open so there was like natural lighting and everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. It was a bit of an ordeal, but uh, it turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I saw that even Billboard was screaming about it. So Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone should watch Project Power now and check out our music video. Yeah, definitely. And Conrad, has anyone been talking to us in our social platforms? They have indeed, yes. In the wake of our first brush with found footage in our last episode with The Fourth Kind, I put out a tweet to say, Favourite found footage film, go! Yes. And <laughs> we got a lot of votes for Wreck, which oh yes, I had forgotten about. Yes. Megan Navarro of Bloody Disgusting gave a vote for that one too. So Good choice. Yeah. And, but there were some mentions of things that I haven't seen. Lake Mungo, which I think is an Australian movie. Ah, oh, I haven't seen that either. No. I didn't even know it was found footage. Yeah, apparently so. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check that one out if I can find it. I couldn't find it on a streaming service here Mm-hmm. But maybe it's on Stan or something. Maybe. Good old Stan. <laughs> I'll have to check. <laughs> <laughs> I love you have a streaming service named after just some random guy. Stan. Yeah. Just the Aussie way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other one that was mentioned a couple of times, Hell House LLC. Oh, no, I've never heard of or seen that movie. No, so Blake uh, said that that came out of nowhere for me and he really liked it and uh, scary bear 31 said hell house llc as well so hmm have Very to cool. check that one out yeah we'll do and of course we also got a verdict from surge of cold crash pictures hello surge hey surge so on the fourth kind he said Real live human beings with actual pride and emotions poured a lot of time and attention into the fourth kind, so I'd probably feel bad if I made my full opinion of it public. Suffice oh. it to say that Movie Oubliette has conducted a thorough post mortem that I wholeheartedly agree with. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so, very diplomatic. Shifting <laughs> the blame there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. We'll just do the tough one, Serge. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to all that hate mail. <laughs> yeah, so, but always great to hear from everybody. Please do get in touch via our socials if you have any feedback on the films we are talking about. Mm, we do
1: love to hear what you have to say.
0: Mm. And do we have anything positive to say
1: about the movie today, Conrad?
0: Well, let's find out. Ambul- on over here. Uh, Oh, it's a grocery store down here today. Oh, okay. How convenient. (laughs) The music is really cheesy. Wow, this cereal aisle goes on forever. Forever. (laughs) Okay, I found a movie. Coming back. So, Conrad, what reasonably priced film do you have today? Well, it turns out that I've got something that neither of us has seen before. So it's a... Double blind. Yes, it's Intruder, the 1989 American slasher film written and directed by Scott Spiegel, co-written by Lawrence Bender and produced by none other than Sam Raimi. Uh-huh. It stars Dan Hicks, David Burns, Elizabeth Cox and René Estevez with appearances from Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi and blink and you'll miss him Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Okay. Are you sure those aren't the uh, top build actors? Hmm... Well, some DVDs released in the 90s would make you think so, wouldn't they? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) So what is this film about?
0: Well, Intruder is set in the creepiest of settings, a suburban grocery store. The night shift staff of Walnut Lane Market are set upon by an intruder, the recently released criminal and ex-boyfriend of checkout girl Jennifer. After this no-good ruffian, Craig, or possibly Craig gets kicked out of the store, a series of gruesome events unfurl with very grisly consequences. As the almost indistinguishable characters get murdered (laughs) one by one, Jennifer, the final girl, fights for her life to leave the store alive. But is the killer really her vile ex-boyfriend or someone much more unexpected? We'll dive headfirst into the mystery, packing the shopping aisles of Intruder to find out. (laughs) After the break...
1: We are back to talk slasher films, Mm. in particular, Intruder, the 1989 Scott Spiegel-directed film. Mm. Uh, Slasher is uh, one of my least favorite horror genres. Ah. Um, But we do have to talk about the cast and crew of this film to start off with. And the fact that this is pretty low budget, $130,000,
0: and apparently shot in two weeks. Yes. Incredible. It's quite an achievement, isn't it? So it comes from the Evil Dead era. Of the whole Sam Raimi gang. Mm-hmm. I think it stems from another one of those 8 millimeter short films that they made around that time because Scott Spiegel grew up with Sam and Ted and Bruce Campbell. So he's part of that whole original gang that were making 8 millimeter movies like Within the Woods, which turned into Evil Dead mm-hmm. with Sam Raimi at the helm, and then Intruder, which I believe was based on something called The Night Crew. Yes.
1: I heard from the commentary about this film that the original title that they wanted to have was called Night Crew, The Final Checkout, which sounds so much better than Intruder. I don't know why they chose such a generic title.
0: Yeah, I know. And the original poster art as well was just a distorted face of the killer, which kind of reveals who it is. Right, Um, right, right. Yeah, it all seems so sort of generic and almost like a straight-to-TV 80s horror mystery murder thriller. Which is kind of what this is. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because it's half... Slasher movie and half a Ten Little Indians Agatha Christie type murder where you're kind of wondering who the killer is that's knocking everybody off, whereas normally you've got Freddie Jason or Michael Myers and you know exactly who it is that's doing it and you're just waiting for the next person to die. Mm,
1: I mean, it's interesting because I grew up in the 90s, so my idea of slasher was scream, mm. so that was always. A who done it? Like it's a twist, and it was this person, or this person, or it was two people. So I kind of have that expectation for slashes, not the Mm. Halloween Friday Thirteenth sort of mystical figure that is just impossibly getting around, even though they're walking so slowly <laughs> and catching up <laughs> to people that are sp- sprinting away. But yeah, in terms of the cast for this, because I'm I'm not huge on um, Sam Raimi films. I've seen all, all of his big ones, mm. but I don't really know about their family that they mm. continue to bring along into the film. So Ted Raimi and Sam Raimi are brothers. Yep. My introduction to Ted Raimi was growing up watching Xena and Hercules in New Zealand, <laughs> which was, I think it was produced by Sam Raimi. Yeah. And Ted Raimi is in it. Bruce Campbell is in it. Yeah. So that was my introduction to them as uh, right. a <laughs> filmmaker. I love Ted Raimi. I think he's great. <laughs> he is. His characters, every single time, so lovable and so comical as well. But when I was listening to the commentary about this film, I didn't realize that, Scott Spiegel introduced Lawrence Bender, the writer for this, to Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Yeah, so Lawrence Bender went on to collaborate with Quentin Tarantino on many of his films. So It's pretty amazing.
0: It is, yeah. Reservoir Dogs, pop fiction, From Dusk Till Dawn which Scott Spiegel directed a sequel to from Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money, mm-hmm. Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. He also produces documentaries like An Inconvenient Truth. Ah, uh-huh. right, right, right. Yeah, so very successful, award-winning producer. And uh, Scott Spiegel hooked him up with Quentin Tarantino and got that whole thing rolling. So that's pretty amazing. Mm. And
1: also connections to Eli Roth as well. So Scott Spiegel went on to direct uh, Hostel 3. Mm. Well, the first one was Eli Roth. Yeah. So yeah, very sort of ancestral connections with all these film people. Yeah. And no idea.
0: Well, yeah, I kind of knew some of it because I've read a lot of the making of of Evil Dead. Ah. So I was really interested to see Intruder because I knew it came from that era, But it feels like kind of a late entry because Evil Dead was, what, 82, 83, that kind of time? Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. this movie is 89. So to see those guys in something that has such a small budget, that's flying by the seat of their pants and doing the best they can, but is fairly limited and in a lot of ways quite amateurish, In 1989, it feels a little out of place when you know at the same time that Sam Raimi's moving on to things like Darkman, Mm. which was a big studio movie. Yeah.
1: This movie almost seems like... It's almost like a swan song to the slasher, 80s slasher genre. Yeah. Like it's almost like a tribute and a homage to all of the greats. There are so many references in this movie, like to Halloween and a lot of Hitchcockian techniques used in this film, mm-hmm. um, similarities to Jalo movies as well from the 70s. Yeah, It's almost like this movie is made for horror fans. Yeah. It kind of ticks all the boxes. It doesn't do anything new or original but it takes all those boxes and i kind of had a lot of fun with this.
0: Yeah, and it has a certain glee to it as well. I don't think it's taking itself terribly seriously. No. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are lots of really fun moments in it. Things like when the killer is running after the final girl towards the end of the movie, he pauses to pick something that's fallen off of one of the grocery shelves and puts it back. Yeah, cuz
1: spoilers here. He is one of the co-owners. <laughs> of the grocery store so you <laughs> yeah <know.
0: laughs> as he does say at one point in the movie he's just crazy about this store <laughs> <laughs> but crazy enough to kill the entire staff yeah that's a little bit far-fetched the premise is ridiculous yeah it doesn't make even the slightest bit of sense to be honest But they do have a lot of fun with it. I mean, even before the twist
1: of revealing um, Bill, the co-owner of the store, as the killer implying that the ex-boyfriend is a killer is still far-fetched. Why? Why would he be killing everyone to get with his girlfriend? It makes no sense.
0: No, I don't know why he's doing it. There's an altercation right at the beginning of the movie where you're introduced to bad boy Craig Mm. or Craig. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about the American approach to pronouncing Craig. (laughs) It really bugs
1: me. (laughs) There was a movie, I think it was Parent Trap 3 or something, Thing, a terrible sequel movie but I watched it as a kid and there was a character called Hawk like the bird right. you know like the falcon Hawk but yeah. Americans don't pronounce it Hawk they pronounce it Hawk so I had no idea what his name was <laughs> I kept calling him Hawk
0: yeah throughout this movie I just kept hearing people going Craig, Craig What about Craig? Yeah. What are you talking about? Is this even a word? (laughs) Anyway, cultural differences. But yeah, you're introduced to him early on and you get this whole backstory about how, you know, he's a Reagan-era 80s nightmare. Mm -hmm. He got into drugs. He started dealing. He went off the rails. He got convicted of manslaughter, I presume, and went to prison. Mm -hmm. And then seemingly he's out on parole a year later, which seems like a short... Sentence. Yeah, for murder, no. For murdering (laughs) someone. It's a bit light, yeah. So shows up at Jennifer's store at work and starts harassing her and even slaps her in the face. And Mm -hmm. the rest of the employees all help her and throw this guy out. And from then on, you're meant to think that this is the perpetrator, the intruder of the title. Yes. Because every time you see him, you get that low synth resonant sound. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah it's not
1: him yeah no it's (laughs) definitely not him the characters uh, the most generic named characters I've ever (laughs) seen in the film there's a Danny there's a Bill a Dave a Jennifer a Linda
0: (laughs) who thought up these names they're so generic (laughs) And as well as that, some of them look alike. So I kept confusing. Is it Tim and Dave? Is it Dave that she ends up being attracted to, Jennifer? I got
1: so confused. There were three guys. One of them happened to be Sam Raimi. So at least I could distinguish him. But three (laughs) of the guys were all wearing flannel. So I just thought flannel guy number one dies here. (laughs) (laughs) Flannel guy number two.
0: (laughs) Well, two of them had sort of that age. Mid length brown, curly, poofy sort of yes. hair, and I just could not tell them apart. One I was Tim, one was Dave, and you get a scene where Tim is spying on them uh-huh. while Dave is tickling. Is he tickling Jennifer on the? I, don't I know. can figure it out. She was laughing a lot anyway. Shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> but i couldn't figure out which one was which and who was dying really <laughs> yeah but... and of course they had to have the obligatory stoner out of it
1: guy that yes the guy that plays bob worst actor ever his line <laughs> delivery <laughs> atrociously flat <laughs> completely emotionless. Like that one when he was telling the story about Craig being, oh, he got addicted to drugs and started dealing. And then for some reason it ends with, I would have died if my brother hadn't hit him repeatedly with a blender. <laughs> <laughs> like, what story is this? I know.
0: This movie is incredibly funny, though. It's not easy to take seriously, <laughs> I'll say that much.
1: No, no, no. It's hilarious. It yeah. does black comedy so well it's on par with evil dead and even brain dead the peter jackson movie mm. it really isn't taking anything seriously the kills are just at the same time incredibly gruesome but super funny at the same time so, <laughs> no.
0: yeah although the censors did not take kindly to them they did not see the funny side because paramount distributed this on vhs And to get an R rating, they effectively cut out all of KMB's death sequences. Oh, what? The special effects sequences are done by K and B back in their early days for nothing. I think they did it just for the love of it. And did some really inventive stuff, especially the band saw cutting the head in half. That
1: was such a
0: disgusting scene it's horrible and it doesn't make any sense because whoever it is that it's happening to is it Bob? I think it's Bob no I think Bob gets crushed in the compactor
1: that's right Um, yeah it's it's either Tim or Dave it's one (laughs) of the
0: two (laughs) one of the flannel guys Yeah, flannel guy number two flannel guy two (laughs) so flannel guy two gets his head sword in half but doesn't struggle while it's happening even when the killer lets go of him to turn the machine on, he just very patiently waits to get his head sawn in half mm-hmm. so yeah it's not to be taken seriously but the censors did not find it funny and they cut all of the death scenes out oh, basically what so then you just got this let's be frank badly acted shoddily produced <laughs> 80 minutes with no death scenes in so the gore hounds didn't get what they wanted and people who like a good thriller but just scratching their heads thinking well what the hell is this yeah yeah and it was like that in the UK wow UK, every time. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was released in Ireland, oh, right. uncut yes. for like a, a heartbeat and then <laughs> speedily withdrawn. <sighs> so it's only recently that we've had a decent release of the whole thing Oh wow! Uh, by the 88 Films label. So I got to see it in all its gory glory. And I have to say, some of the stuff, like Bub getting his head crushed, it's not convincing, really. But it's pretty disgusting anyway. Like, I wasn't
1: really going for realism with this film. It's just fun gore, ridiculous violence, (laughs) and, yeah, inventive deaths. Also, I mean, we have to talk about it. The camera work in this movie—it's bonkers. Yeah. It's like let's make every single scene unexpected. Where we put the camera? Let's put the camera behind a bottle, or in the <laughs> ceiling, or in a bucket, or <laughs> in a phone. <laughs> I've never seen it in a phone before because it's got this like superimposed image of like the rotary dials of the
0: phone on yeah. top of the image. It's- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the finger holes you're looking out through, aren't you? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Why? (laughs) I don't
1: know. I mean, I guess I commend the creativity. Super creative. I love the shot where it's on the ground. So the camera is essentially the ground. Yes. And Jennifer sweeping (laughs) dust and rubbish over the camera twice. Yeah. That's creative. Yes. That's really cool.
0: But what's the point of it? I don't know. I don't
1: know. (laughs) Because it's it's excessive. It is. Yeah. The point
0: of view of the camera. It is. To the point where you, you notice it every Every single time. Yeah, it almost seems like it's a parody of Sam Raimi so it makes you wonder because Scott Spiegel directed this, Sam Raimi directed Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 and you're wondering where does this elaborate hyperkinetic style come from? Is it Sam or is it Scott? Mm-hmm. Is Scott copying Sam or sending it up or do they both have the same influences and love that kind of thing? I don't know mm-hmm. but in Sam's movies you get the feeling that all the ridiculous camera placements and attaching cameras to a wooden board and flying it through a swamp and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It serves a narrative purpose. It's always characterising something or achieving a certain effect. Sure, sure. Why you are gazing up through the dial of a phone up at one of the characters (laughs) during a routine phone call, I do not know. There are some weird ones in there too. Like there's one where the camera takes the point of view of a door handle. Yeah, Yeah, And that took me ages to figure out what was happening because the whole image is just tilting slightly. Yeah, as the door handle's turning,
1: the image of the point of view of the door handle looking at the character is tilting with the handle. (laughs) Why? I don't know. There's one scene where it's so on the nose Hmm. that I just laughed at it because it just seemed like, is this like a student film? Like a student (laughs) film trying to be symbolic with its camera movement so there's one scene where jennifer and linda are talking about her ex craig and how oh um, and and so like i think Linda asks her Like where's he been And then the camera Pans across (laughs) So that The magazine Like the metal stand Is in front Of Jennifer And she says Prison And it's like Oh wow That's (laughs) that's
0: too obvious Come on We're not idiots here (laughs) Yeah I know That one is ridiculous We also have to mention In that scene That there is a moment Where you see That Craig Is stood outside The door So you know That he's there Mm -hmm. And then there is a noise and Linda gasps and turns because she thought she heard something and the camera whip pans to a magazine cover of Sting with tribal <laughs> painting on his face with his teeth bared yes. and you think, what? <laughs> I know, but...
1: They panned to that cover again later on in the film for an
0: unbeknownst reason. No, I think this is a literal stinger. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Bad joke. But I don't understand how this magazine got there because that is the cover of a German magazine called Tempo. Oh, is it? Yeah. It was produced from 86 to 96. It's a German lifestyle magazine in German. And you can see that from the text on the front... Which includes an article for The Female Ejaculation, oh. the new favorite child of sex researchers. I translated it. What? What the hell is that doing in this American <laughs> convenience store? <laughs> Those imports, I guess. Yeah. They obviously just have a very strong German contingent locally. I d- Maybe. I <laughs> don't
1: know. <laughs> I didn't understand how this film constantly showed products. And logos and even Sting for that matter, yeah, and got away with it.
0: How I don't know.
1: There's a close up of like Adidas shoes, mm, Oh, I Pepsi, think there's Pepsi, there's all the cereal brands that they have on the I shelves. Know. Like, I don't understand.
0: Normally, films would be sued over things like this. Yeah, they have to get clearance for absolutely every brand that's shown on display, and in some cases companies pay to get their brands on display. So like James
1: Bond movies. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: So you can have a whole movie that's underwritten by McDonald's, as in the case of Mac and me, mm-hmm. which is pretty offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that too, because this is a low, low, low budget movie and yet somehow they got brand clearance for about five thousand different types of cereal. Yeah. Which I didn't even know existed. I mean Back in 1989 in the UK, you got cornflakes and you got Rice Krispies. And that was it, you know. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I'm just looking at this smorgasbord of sugary, calorific, mm-hmm. coloured things mm-hmm. that they seemed to have back then. And I'm just amazed. Yeah, I don't know how they got clearance for it all. It's amazing. I think they got all the food from... Dennis Weaver, the star of Spielberg's Duel. He ran a charitable institution that used to take food that was damaged or something, and he would give it to people who are struggling to get by uh-huh. so if you uh-huh. look at all the stuff that's on display in the store it's all damaged in some way it's like, right. and they don't exactly treat it well during the movie either but i think a lot of it is just the magic of a conglomerate because it's all great mills or whatever that owns all uh-huh. of these cereal brands they just go to great mills and say hey we're going to put all your cereal brands on a shopping aisle in a movie uh-huh. is that okay i'm back in 1989 they just said Yeah, fine. (laughs) I don't know. It just seemed to be easier back then, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the only other reason I can think of is they just didn't think this movie was going to be shown anywhere. Maybe. And they just thought, screw it.
0: (laughs) We won't even try. (laughs) Well, I guess none of their products is used as a murder weapon because most of the murder weapons are machinery. Mm. And this is another
1: thing that was just so on the nose with this movie. Like, every single item that I have a close-up of, Mm. becomes a murder weapon. Yeah, at some point. The spike in the office for the receipts, or (laughs) the meat saw, or the trash compactor, or like the butchery uh, meat hooks from the ceiling, they all become (laughs) weapons. Yeah, And it's something that always happens in movies, you know, you have to show the item first, otherwise, as a viewer, where did that item come from? But there are so many of them that it got... Predictable, like okay, I know how he's gonna kill the next person with this thing that they've just shown.
0: Yeah, it's not just Chekhov's gun, it's Chekhov's band sword, Chekhov's meat. Yeah. Hook. It's <laughs> like you a just... it's like a shopping list of Chekhov's items. <laughs> and then you check them off. <laughs> yeah. God, sorry, it's weak puns today. I'm just in the mood for weak puns. <laughs> another sort of film technique
1: often in horror movies before a death they'll cut to something that's kind of similar so i i I was thinking of in black sheep how i think one of them gets attacked and then it cuts to someone slopping some baked beans into a pan and it's Mm -hmm. because you're comparing it's got the same context and this with this movie, just constantly, someone would be almost off or about to get killed and then cuts to someone slicing a watermelon in half. Yeah. Yeah. Or- Someone gets hit by a hammer and then cuts to someone dropping a bag of potatoes on the ground. All this constant stuff, which
0: is really funny, (laughs) but there were so many of those scenes. I know. Yeah, the watermelon made me laugh because that's when Linda gets killed in the most generic slasher death ever. It's just cut to knife being held up in the air, glinting in the moonlight, Mm -hmm. and then down it comes, and you cut to Ted Raimi slicing the biggest melon I've (laughs) ever seen in half <laughs> and then just gouging a chunk out of the middle of it and fisting it into his face it's <laughs> like the worst employee yeah. ever yeah a pretty good
1: portrayal of a, a grocery store slash supermarket though yeah. yeah
0: none of them give a shit and yet they're all gutted when they find out that it's closing and they're going to have to find a new job I know and they're really going to miss this place so I know you would look so disenfranchised and yeah. bored yeah Ted Ramey's character
1: was so funny to me. Yeah. The produce guy that's just constantly (laughs) listening to music. I love that scene where he's just like making ridiculous facial expressions and listening to music, stacking produce, watermelons. And then <laughs> Sam Raimi's character comes in and says, you lost your job, Joe. <laughs> doesn't even hear it. He just doesn't care. No.
0: Completely oblivious. <laughs> no, and he's still like that when he gets killed and you get him sort of chopping rhythmically and then finally it's the killer that chops down on his head, mm. slicing his headphones in half. Yeah. It is yeah. almost like a parody of a Friday, the 13th movie, I think, mm, yeah, for sure. That's what I was saying. Like, <laughs> it, it does seem like sort of a love letter to
1: slashes, to horrors, to Hitchcock, to Jalo. There are so many sort of references with all the kills and all the humour mm. involved in all the kills as well. Yeah. I don't know, the twist as well. What did you think about the twist?
0: Well, I could kind of see who it was because you see a silhouette of the killer a few times before he strikes. Ah. So I kind of guessed before, but also I... (laughs) I didn't really care. (laughs) I wasn't all that fussed who it was. So, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really a massive revelation to me. And it didn't make an awful lot of sense either. Because I know that he didn't want the co-owner who decided to sell the store to... He didn't agree. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to sell. So he rams his head into the prominent spike on his desk, which, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. fine. But then why does he kill everybody else? I don't understand why he does that. They threw that other guy out... And then you go upstairs and start screaming and say, oh, our boss is dead because the boss was the one that had the most prominent altercation with Craig. Mm -hmm. So, would have been fine have all the witnesses to that argument. Great. But no, he kills absolutely every single person present and dismembers them and puts parts of them in prominent places so that other people can find them, like an eyeball in Mm -hmm. with some olives Mm -hmm. and hands in the lobster tank. And Why? Why is he doing it? I don't know. (laughs) Even the
1: bread delivery guy that comes early in the morning, he kills him as well. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you trying to achieve here? I I mean, he kills him outside, smears all his blood all over the front door. I mean, isn't that just a big telltale sign that there's (laughs) definitely a lot of murder going on in this store?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the director too. (laughs) Yeah, the cameo. Yes, yes, yes. It's not exactly the slickest serial killer whodunit ever. And yet, the ending, should we talk about the ending now? Oh, the ending. He kind of yeah. gets away with it. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. And
1: Jennifer and her not-so-evil boyfriend, Craig, get the full blame because mm. he happens to be holding the bloody cleaver and with the owner in the background dying from bleeding out. And... Uh, I was waiting for Bruce Campbell the entire film. I know. And wondering, is he the killer? Like, what is going on? Where's Bruce Campbell here? And he just shows up (laughs) right at the very last scene as a policeman. Yeah. What? I know.
0: I feel ripped off. (laughs) Me too, because his name was in such big letters on the front of the cover. Mm. I did count, actually, and the severed hand that's in the lobster tank, that gets more screen time than Bruce Campbell. Wow. Wow. <laughs> because you keep cutting back to that severed hand in the lobster tank. It's like four <laughs> times. Why? <laughs> Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are sort of top build
1: on a lot of the promotional stuff for this film. But yeah, Ted doesn't even really interact with any of the other characters. He gets killed without even knowing he's getting killed. Sam is a very small character. And Bruce Campbell shows up for about 10
0: seconds. At the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: That's false
0: advertising. (laughs) It is. It's more like extended cameos. I mean, Sam Raimi is cute in this. Yeah, super young. (laughs) He's very young young and quite funny. And he gets thrown through a display of Pepsi cans as soon as he turns up on screen. So Mm -hmm. full on Three Stooges style comedy going on there, which is great. But yeah, he's not the star of the film by any stretch of the imagination. And neither is René Estevez, who's also prominently credited on some releases of the film. She's Linda, and she's the first to die. Mm. This member of acting royalty, the Sheen Estevez family, who was in the West Wing for a long period of time, Mm. she's Mm. not the star of the movie. The star of the movie is Elizabeth Cox, who, I have to say... Probably not the strongest actor out of the two or even the whole cast, really. I didn't mind her. I thought she was okay. She was better than the guy that played Bob.
1: Yeah. He was atrocious. Yeah, he was. (laughs) But she hasn't really done anything else since. She was in Nine of the Creeps and The Wraith Uh. and... That's all I could really see that she's been in. Yeah, and it
0: has to be said, I think they suffer from the amount of time that they had to make this movie. There are signs, despite all of the elaborate setups and the inventiveness and the humour and the ridiculous special effects sequences, there are obvious hints of how limited their resources were. There are scenes like the scene with her and Dave, possibly Tim, flannel guy one anyway, Mm -hmm. where... They're talking about how sad they are that they're losing their jobs and they sort of connect for the first time and she makes sure that he's not still going out with Carrie. They sort of make plans and acknowledge that they're into each other Mm -hmm. but it's shot in one medium side shot of both of them talking to each other and somebody, I think it's Bill, speaks off camera and the sound is really bad and you can't hear him Right, and it feels really awkward so it's clearly take one we've got to do this scene, got it done, move on. You know, there are a few scenes in the movie like that. Sam Raimi has another one where he's having a tussle with a stepladder, where it's clearly just something that went wrong that he's just improvising a reaction to and it's awkward it's a single shot it should be on the bloopers reel but it's not it's in the movie because they just had to move on so i think it suffers from that here and there wow
1: that scene actually i did want to ask about it because it was really odd yeah really weird timed scene where I you think the killer's behind him and then a ladder falls on him mm. for no reason whatsoever and he kind of picks it up and he doesn't know what to do with it so he just throws it back on the... What? I don't know. (laughs) It just seemed really strangely sort of choreographed.
0: Yeah, the whole thing is really badly executed. It's sort of like the fight scene at the beginning. It's not slick. There are lots of delays between punches and you sort of see the beginning of a shot where everybody stood around looking awkward and then something happens and then pause and then cut. You know, it's all a bit amateur, really. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, they're doing something very complicated in two weeks, so you have to cut them some slack.
1: I'm amazed. Two weeks, $130,000. is impressive.
0: It is. Yeah, for sure. Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Dan, what heavily discounted piece of trivia did you find in the bargain bin for us today?
1: So, the story that Bill tells, that horrific story, that oh, yeah. the firefighter, eating a sandwich and and finding the severed head and uh, coming back one hand with the head and one hand with the sandwich. Mm. That was actually told to Scott by a work colleague from a grocery store that he used to work at. Yeah, and he actually did record it onto tape, but he told that to Sam Raimi, and then Sam Raimi told it to the Coen brothers, and they used that story <laughs> in Raising Arizona, the 1987 oh, film. Oh yeah. I, I don't think Scott was offended that it was already used. He was more sort of, uh, I guess, honored that, oh wow, the Coen brothers thought it was a, a good enough story to have in their film. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because you forget that there's a connection between the Coen brothers and Sam Raimi and Co. right from the early days, because there's a crossover there in their early films. You see their names cropping up all the time. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you look carefully, there's a crossover. So, you know, some of them are appearing in the Hudsucker Proxy and Crime Wave, I think. Coen brothers were involved in Crime Wave, which was Sam Raimi's second film, which wasn't a very big... Hit okay, me. right, right, right. Yeah. That story, though, they do ruin it at the end, I have to say. That story, when the killer comes back and he actually reenacts the story that he told. So he's walking along the aisles with a head in the hand and the sandwich in the other. And I thought, oh, that's really creepy. He's doing it for real. And then, and then he... he recounts the story <laughs> again. It's like, we are you not think, that's... stupid. <laughs> We've got it. You don't have to say... oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And um, that's our trivia. Yes. There are some moments of genuine subtlety in the movie that I quite liked. Mm-hmm. There's a misdirection in the POV shots that I mentioned before, where Dave and Tim, Tim is spying on Dave making out with Jennifer. And then you cut back to the couple. And then you cut back to the POV shot that's Tim's but Tim enters the frame from screen right, yeah. an aisle yeah. closer, and then you realise, hang on, this POV is somebody else's? Mm-hmm. And that's really creepy. Yeah, And there's a very well-choreographed scene where Sam Raimi, who's the butcher... He's moving back and forth in a freezer and he opens the freezer door and you think when he closes it, it's going to reveal the killer. But no. But if you look carefully, you see that the biggest knife on the knife stand behind him has gone in the interim. They kind of ruin the subtlety of the moment by having a very, very loud knife scraping noise on the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that, yes. But if that hadn't been there, there is some subtlety to that that's creepy that you may not even catch first time around. Mm-hmm.
1: I did like how they sort of disguised the killer. It's super cheesy with the whole point of view of the killer and then heavy breathing oh, of course Halloween. But they kind of pulled it off. Yeah. And the red herring of Craig being caught outside by Bill and then they have a tussle and then Bill gets knocked out by the hammer. Hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of liked the misdirect with that, even though. It it was, it was a little bit predictable but they tried <laughs> yeah
0: they tried so I think there's a lot in there even though they were very limited and they had limited time and sometimes the cheapness and the lack of resources shows up but sometimes it doesn't sometimes mm. there's some intricate stuff in there that I really appreciated
1: yeah 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 I did read somewhere but I don't know exactly what this means but the
0: entire movie was
1: shot on short ends what does that mean?
0: As far as I'm aware, that means that it's offcuts from the end of reels. So, you know, there's another major production going on. And sometimes they run out of film and they change the reel over and they carry on shooting. But sometimes they finish shooting for the day, uh-huh. but they still want to send the film off to get developed so they can look at the rushes. So they just cut the unexposed stuff off and then they just bought all of these leftover bits, I guess. (laughs) That's my guess. Yeah. A short end is a partial roll of unexposed film stock left over during a motion picture production and kept for later use. The short end may be sold to a film dealer who will resell it to productions who are in a position to use it. So, yeah a way to save money it is yeah it's quite a cunning (laughs) production approach does
1: that explain why there are some scenes where there are lines yeah
0: on the frame yeah there are a lot of bits of film damage in the movie that they haven't lovingly restored even in the new 4k scan of the camera negative that I've got
1: okay that makes sense though it's it's like if you had like an SD card and you just (laughs) filmed it on like the remaining space on the SD card So you had to use, like, a hundred of them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, I did want to ask, what did you think about the music? The music's interesting, isn't it? Because I thought that it was scored by Basil Poliduris, because that's what IMDb says right? and Wikipedia but he's not credited on the opening titles of the movie. Okay. So I posed the question to the Film Score Monthly forum because if you want to find out some obscure thing about film scores, Mm -hmm. you just put it out to those guys. And Goblin Score on there came back with, it's a mix-up. Basil Polidoris did not score this movie. He scored a movie called Flight of the Intruder uh-huh. the same year or the year after. Okay. It's actually library music and it was put together by Bruce Campbell himself. So it's Bruce Campbell gluing together bits of library music from the APM music library. And some of those cues have showed up in lots of lots of other horror movies. Right, right, right.
1: Because that's how the original Dawn of the Dead was scored was yeah. just all library music.
0: Yeah, that's true. But for all that, I think he did a pretty good job of gluing together cues that worked in various scenes. I mean, they're not terribly consistent because sometimes it's synth and sometimes it's a chamber orchestra and sometimes it's one genre and sometimes it's another. And...
1: Yeah, I was confused by the lack of consistency. <laughs> sometimes it was a guitar. Sometimes it was a piano. Yeah, The piano stuff was odd. Mm. Like all of those glissandies down the keyboard where it's obvious that they'd just taken their hand and just moved it down the keyboard (laughs) on the piano because I guess it was all just the white keys. It didn't have that sort of horror sound to it because it was all kind
0: of major keys yeah so. it sounded like a like a flashy solo or something yeah yeah <laughs> like a show tune or something <laughs> yeah exactly no th- i mean there are some moments like when bill is looking through a bottle that distorts his face and he's sort of scanning the whole shop left and right and bruce campbell's put this cello glissandi across it says mmm, and it's sort of creepy it goes with the image it's sort of spookily accurate as it goes back and forth but for the most part yeah it's just sort of random tidbits of music yeah, but I think, yeah. I think he did a pretty good job of assembling the score to be
1: honest it's not bad yeah the consistency I had a problem with but in terms of all the cues kind of fitting the scene and fitting the mood it worked yeah it didn't distract from the movie apart from the piano glissandi, but <laughs> <laughs> apart from that it didn't seem out of place
0: no and the other production aspect that I think really sells the film well is the cinematography by Fernando I'm not sure how to pronounce this arguelas argels Arguelles. Mm-hmm. probably butchering that completely sorry but it is well lit for a film that is shot on such a tight schedule and such a small budget there are some nice flashy bits of atmospheric lighting going on in there like shafts of light crossing aisles as she's running through them at the end of the movie and blood patterns on windows being beamed across her face because there's a strong light source outside. There's some really nice stuff going on in here in terms mm. of the lighting.
1: I did notice a uh, good use of reflections as well mm. on glass, on metal. Yeah, Good use of depth of field as well. Mm. Not the sort of thing you see in sort of low budget horror specifically.
0: No. And the other thing I'd like to say about the movie is that although it's a slasher movie and it was pounced upon by the censors, it's not exciting exploitative. Ah. It doesn't treat certainly its female characters as sex objects. There's no nudity in this movie. And none of the killings are sexualized in any way. They're just comical. That's true. And that's quite nice, I think. It doesn't leave a bad taste in the mouth. I mean, the only thing thematically I was worried about is that her abusive, criminal, murdering ex boyfriend would have like a redemption arc. Mm. And I was thinking, please, God, no. Don't let them kiss and walk off into the sunset at the end. He slapped uh, her at the beginning of this movie. Don't do that. But no, they just go to prison together, I guess (laughs) (laughs) arrested. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Award. It's
1: the Moobly Awards. Let's take a break from stocking shelves and pricing items to present our favorite overly creatively framed parts of the film in a number of deliciously watermelon sliced categories. Best quote.
0: Well, you already mentioned my favorite quote, which is, of course, Bub, the great actor, that he is, uh, is relating the story about Craig's descent into drug-addled madness and how they get into a fight. And he says, if my brother hadn't hit him repeatedly in the head with a blender, he would have killed me, Mm -hmm. which is just so (laughs) oddly specific and weird. It's
1: such a strange end to a story that sounds very serious. (laughs) (laughs) I love it as well because it continues on when Linda asks, a blender? And he replies, yeah, a Hamilton Beach blender. (laughs) He (laughs) knows the brand.
0: (laughs) Best hair or
1: costume? I mean, it's pretty obvious just to go with Craig, right? You know, he's got stereotyped (laughs) 80s bad boy. I think of the blob with um, Mm. Kevin Dillon's character. You got the leather jacket and the (laughs) mullet. I mean... That's what bad boys looked like in the 80s. Every
0: parent's nightmare in the 80s, yeah. What I particularly like is that he has that bad boy stubble that's so short and dense it looks like a kid in a school production that's had shoe polish smudged on his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. Most 80s moment. I think, and it follows on from our previous category, I just think it's shit hair. Mm -hmm. It's just terrible terrible hair everyone it looks like it's unconditioned and dry yeah. and sticking everywhere it's like particularly jennifer and linda bless them they've got this great 80s combo of really long hair but with a short fringe that's uh-huh. over-producted yeah. and looks like it could just like snap off if you touch it too much <laughs> it's but everybody's hair just looks terrible yeah 80s hair yes yeah. terrible super messy. <laughs>
1: bird's nest hair
0: yeah looks like a fire hazard
1: it's terrible <laughs> uh my most 80s thing about this film it's not really 80s i guess but also 90s was the uh the importance of the tv guide which I remember every week we would buy the TV guide, a booklet Mm. of all the shows and movies that were going to be played on air on TV that week. And I would go through it and I'd circle all the ones that I wanted and, you know, make a note of all the times that started. It's just so funny to think how sort of
0: necessary that shopping item was. Yeah, and it's quite prominently placed that uh, issue of the TV Guide where the lead article is, is TV getting better or worse? (laughs) (laughs) When the TV Guide was your life. (laughs) Yeah. like, you'd miss things. This is the thing that kids don't understand now. If you didn't catch things when they were on, you missed them. It was over. Mm. You couldn't stream them. No. Couldn't go back to them. I mean, when I was very, very young, you couldn't even record them. You either watched them when they were on, or that was it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you couldn't go out because you... Had to be home to watch this episode of yeah. this TV show. Yeah. Your life revolved around the TV schedule. time slots
0: of TV yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah, no time shifting back then. Yeah, I remember being out with my brother playing and we suddenly realized what time it was and we were going to miss Night Rider. We had to run. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no DVRs. We were screwed if we didn't get back in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different time. Yeah, yeah, sure was. Favourite scene.
1: I have to mention this scene because we haven't talked about it yet, but the co-owner's death, Mm. how creative it was. So he gets impaled on the receipt spike, which is, you know, I've seen that in many films, but the blood goes everywhere and it gets into the receipt calculator thing. And so it starts (laughs) printing out just red receipts. It also drips on this lamp that has fallen over on the floor. And then it cuts to shots of the ceiling and the ceiling is gradually getting more and more red as there's more blood dripping on the light bulb. It's just (laughs) creative. It's so creative. I really loved it. Mm. How about you then? Favorite scene?
0: Mine was the car sequence right at the end of the movie where Jennifer opens a car door. At least she doesn't drop her keys, so kudos for that. Mm. Linda of course spills out dead and Mm -hmm. at that point the killer grabs her from underneath the car even though it would have been easier to just walk around it but anyway he drags her underneath the car and you see that there is a knife sticking out of Linda, Mm -hmm. but you do not see Jennifer collect it. So it's still sort of a surprise when she gets to the other side and she Mm -hmm. manages to kill the killer before he kills her. So I thought, wow, that's actually subtle and surprising. Yeah elaborate on what happens next though well that was my favorite part is that when he falls over with the knife sticking out of his chest when he hits the ground for some reason the knife flies out of him like he's a balloon or something i don't know why it flies out and sticks in a board behind him and i died laughing i thought it was hilarious (laughs) most cliched horror moment So my biggest cliche in this movie is the final girl going through a whole series of discoveries of all of the bodies just before the final chase. (laughs) Because you've got to do that, haven't you? You have to sort of walk into lots of gruesomeness and scream rather than resolve the movie because that's, you know, they've killed all of the characters so you can't have any more kill scenes. So then the only thing you can do for shock is just expose people to gruesome dead Mm -hmm. bodies. But what I particularly liked about this one is that every single one of them had a gag. Yeah. (laughs) Like a ridiculous visual gag. So she uses Randy's dead body, Sam Raimi, who's hanging on a meat hook. She uses his body to try to block the door. So Sam Raimi is sort of flopping about and being rammed into yeah. this door over and over again. Highly useless, though, because he is on a i know that's on a sliding <laughs> bar, right? <laughs> yeah, so his, his weight will do nothing. I don't understand it at all. It's ridiculous. Then she discovers Tim cut in half in two bargain bins with a sign reading, as advertised, half off. <laughs> yep. And when she finds Bub's bloody remains in the metal press, he's right next to a, a carton of cigarettes that says, new crush-proof box. Oh, no, I didn't even notice that. That's hilarious. Yeah, that may be a high-def joke only, that one. But yeah, so again, it's reeling out a trope, but it's kind of making fun yeah, of it at the yeah, same yeah. time. So you have a lot of fun with it. So yeah. Favorite special effect? Well, I think it's going to have to be the bandsaw death, isn't it, really?
1: hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Agreed. It made it to the cover of Gore Zone magazine, which was a sister publication of Fangoria for a while, and apparently was taken off of lots of shelves because it was just too disgusting. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it was horrifying. witness i mean his body's writhing around and he's screaming and you can see the bands all going through his head as he's screaming it's it's disgusting yeah it's one of those things that will scar a kid for life
0: best sound effect
1: this is less of a favorite sound and more of a criticism of 80s sound effects 80s punches (laughs) why it's like they all had the (laughs) same stock library of 80s punches to use yeah and that's what they used yeah and you can hear the same punch sound one (laughs) after the other in some of the sort of fight scenes of this movie it's (laughs) terrible
0: it is terrible and it's also clearly mono and low fidelity and has no high frequencies in it at all yes And how about you?
1: Favourite
0: sound? Uh, For me, it harkens back to my complaint about 80s hair. So there is a scene where Bill the killer is pulling Jennifer around the store by her hair and parts of it do actually come off in his hand. Mm -hmm. And when it does, it sounds like Velcro or he's sort of twisting off a hunk of straw from a hay bale or something. It's just (laughs) this really dry, horrible ripping noise. And I thought, yeah, that's probably about right for 80s hair. (laughs) (laughs) with too much hairspray on it. (laughs) Crackling with a hairspray. Exactly, so it just made me laugh. Most funniest scene. So mine was a funniest shot, and it's the shot of Jennifer running from the killer right at the end of the movie in front of all of the aisles. And it should be this stylish, dynamic, visually arresting shot where you just catch glimpses of her as each aisle brushes by the camera. Mm But it's completely undermined by the fact that they didn't have a dolly that could move fast enough for this. So Elizabeth Cox is running as slowly as she possibly can. And it looks like she's doing some sort of performance art piece, just sort of gingerly leaping from one foot to the other. Or like she's about to launch into a flash dance dance number or something. It Mm -hmm. just... I was roaring because it's, it is is not a woman running flat out away from a killer at all. It's just ridiculously silly and it made me laugh. I had to rewind it and watch it again because I enjoyed it so much.
1: Yeah, I, and the aisles look so similar. I, I swear I saw the same aisle twice.
0: <laughs> it's just all breakfast cereal. That's all they have breakfast cereal and brandless detergent like white label detergent Um, of some kind yes (laughs) yeah
1: what about you my favorite funny scene is ted ramey's death scene Mm. it's so good i mean we've mentioned it. he's cutting the watermelon and then the final chop it's not the watermelon it's his head headphones get split in half he falls down and then the sign on the wall says safety first knives are sharp." Please be careful.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, those gags on all the deaths were
0: hilarious. Yeah. And that's our Mooblies, I think. Yeah. Uh-
1: The final part of the podcast where we present our closing argument of intruder, Mm -hmm. whether it should be released from its life of mundane, repetitive tasks at the grocery store to be praised by all, or should it be sliced in several small pieces by a series of creative means only to be vacuum packed and stored away in the meat freezer section of the Oubliette. sealed (laughs) away forever. Conrad. Final thoughts
0: Yes Well I hadn't seen This movie before And neither had you Because this is a Double blind So I was in two minds about this one because on the one hand, I was really looking forward to seeing this kind of undiscovered gem, well, at least for me, Mm. something that I'd never caught up with from the early days of the Raimi era, this Scott Spiegel-directed movie. And I was hoping that it would be in the same vein as The Evil Dead and it would be really fun and visually inventive. And it is. On the one hand, it sort of, It feels sort of like a parody of Sam Raimi's visual style or a rip-off of it in a way. Sure. And it seems strange that in 1989, you'd see something that was so amateurish and clunky. It feels 10 years late kind of thing. But I had so much fun watching it Mm -hmm. and... Even though there are parts of it that are really rough and dodgy and really show the sort of limitations that they were working with, there's so much visual inventiveness and so many visual gags and such a lack of exploitation and nastiness and sexism or misogyny or anything like that that you see in other splatter movies that I just had a blast with it the whole time. And if you are one of the people like me who have missed out on this one that loves Sam Raimi but have never explored Intruder, I think I would say you'd have a really good time checking it out. I think if you're the kind of person who doesn't like slasher movies and particularly doesn't like really grisly, explicit gore, you're not going to enjoy this movie. Mm -hmm. So stay away. But for others who love that kind of stuff, I would say check it out. How about you?
1: Yeah, this movie is right uh, in that sort of group of movies where they don't take itself seriously it knows it's kind of a B-grade movie it's not trying to have exceptional acting or well thought- out plots or anything mm. however it is trying to be as gruesome as possible and in all the funniest ways mm. So it's yeah it's in the category of Evil Dead uh, and Brain Dead and all those kind of really ridiculous 80s gory, black comedy movies the blob and another movie that we've covered and i think the key here is just don't take it seriously just Mm -hmm. don't overthink it it's just fun it's gory it's a love letter to horror and slashes and hitchcock and jello and halloween and it ticks all those boxes and if you are a horror fan this is a must watch like, I would put it as Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Intruder. <laughs> it, it's one of those movies that it's kind of the start of a lot of people's careers as well. So Sam Raimi went on to yeah. do other things, much bigger things. And I, I feel like this is one of those movies that needs to be watched, especially if you if you love horror.
0: So I think we should let this sucker go. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. <laughs> <Princess> <laughs> Never work a nine-to-five for $2 an hour again. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about prices, though, the price of cigarettes in this movie is (laughs) 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 $1.35. That's like nothing. I I think the price of cigarettes here, now a packet is like $30. (laughs) It's
0: ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that doesn't surprise me, actually, because right about the time that I quit smoking, I was starting to think, God, this is a bit expensive. Yes. And I think I checked recently to see what it is now. And it's horrific. Mm. It's like cripplingly expensive. Yeah. 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 No No reason to smoke at all. No. Don't do it. Don't start. (laughs) Definitely not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I guess the question is, Conrad, what are we doing next episode well we've been in the 80s a lot recently with explorers and Krull and intruder so i thought Mm -hmm. we might want to check out something a little bit newer from the son of a famous director so next time we're going to check out the 2012 canadian french science fiction horror film antiviral Oh, I have seen this movie. You have? Uh, Ah. It's got a
1: ridiculous premise.
0: Yeah. So I'm interested to check this one out. It's directed by Brandon Cronenberg, the son of the immeasurably famous David Cronenberg, a towering figure in this genre. I can't imagine what it must be like being his son and starting to direct movies. Mm, I know, right? So yeah, that'll be our movie next time. Mm, I cannot
1: wait to discuss this with you.
0: I've not seen it, so I'm looking forward to watching it.
1: So if you want to keep track of our future episodes, be notified when our new episode comes out. You can follow us on all social media platforms facebook twitter and instagram as
0: movie Oubliette. yes and if you'd like to email us you can do so at movie.oubliet at gmail.com we always love to hear from you
1: Yes, and please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other platform you are listening to us on.
0: It gives us a great boost. And what gives us an even bigger boost is if you support the show through Patreon, where we're just about to launch a new benefit for our $1 patrons, as well as being able to nominate and vote on films for us to cover in future episodes. You will now be able to nominate a category for the Mobley Awards and it could be something just general about movies or it could be something very specific to the film we're about to watch so that'll be <laughs> lots of fun I think mm, it could be anything at all you could ask yeah. us what our favourite character of the film is
1: you could ask us what the the worst moment of the film was. Anything,
0: <laughs> anything goes. Yeah, yeah, be as creative as you like. I can't wait to read some of the suggestions.
1: Yes, and it's also not just our $1, it's also our $5 patrons as well. So yes. give us what you got
0: mm-hmm. and the five dollar patrons get access to all of our exclusive bonus materials including extended interviews with our special guests
1: it's all good thanks again listeners for joining us on our discussion about films yes until next time
0: bye for now goodbye forget come with us up the movie Swinging the goddamn hit by the hair
1: in one hand and his sandwich in the other.